This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. Moon Age Daydream is a cinematic odyssey exploring David Bowie's creative and musical journey. Who better than to create that odyssey than Oscar-nominated and Emmy-winning director Brett Morgan, who also edited, produced, and wrote the film. With the blessing of the Bowie estate, Brett has created a work of cinematic art, that is considered one of the year's best films by scores of reviewers and has been described as the most immersive rock film of all time by IndieWire, a cinematic tour de force by Deadline, a stunning achievement in editing by RogerEbert.com, and a scintillating psychedelic masterwork by none other than NME. You get the idea. Join us as Brett discusses the creative process and what it is like to work in total isolation to bring this masterpiece to the big screen. This one promises to be special, so stay tuned. Brett Morgan, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Things are great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, just to remind our listeners and viewers, we're talking about Moon Age Daydream. I think it's, uh, according to the official announcement, it's found everywhere. But do catch it in a cinema or a movie theater, if at all possible, I would stress. Um, so welcome again to Factual America. Congratulations on the Oscar nomination, the BAFTA nomination, and all the accolades that have come with this film. Um, you must be ecstatic. We, 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 didn't, we didn't get an Oscar nomination, but thank you for the... Uh... Ah, someone... <laughs> I, you, I thought you did. Someone yeah, threw... Okay, BAFTA. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 We no. No. Ones, so we're good. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, that's my bad. And we'll. Uh, so, <laughs> I. Well, you should have. <laughs> that's, that's what I'll say. But you know, um, I was wondering what IMDb was doing with just saying. Anyway, that's another story. Um, uh, you must. Uh, anyway, with all the accolades and everything that's come your way, you must be relieved, ecstatic. How How are you feeling at the moment about all this? I mean, I was feeling, I've been feeling uh, completely buoyant since um, yeah. we premiered the film at Cannes. I feel yeah. like I haven't really, my feet haven't really touched the ground since then. And uh, it's just been uh, an incredible ride, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, usually on this podcast, we ask uh, filmmakers to give us a synopsis of the film. I don't think that's appropriate here. I think, actually, a better question, at least in my view, is uh, what is Moon Age Daydream? What is Moon Age Daydream? Moon Age, I mean, like, what is a Moon Age Daydream? Or no, what or what is the film? I mean, we usually ask, what is the film about? The film's it's a, a movie. You know, it's a movie, it's a, yes. It's a, it's a movie. Uh, it's a movie about David Bowie. It's a movie, about, actually, it's a movie about Bowie, in quotation. Bowie. Yeah, about the sort of energy, the force of energy that is Bowie. Because you've been, at, at least some, I've been at pains to describe it as not as a documentary per se. It's a dumb. I don't understand that. It's it's a, it's a the the, the 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 thing it's it's obviously a documentary. It, it's just that the word documentary carries with it a very narrow sort of definition for most people. Um, you know, unlike unlike fiction, we don't refer to Nope as a fiction film. Nobody's referring to Avatar as a fiction film. 
or ba the Batman as a fiction film. We don't say that. We say it's a superhero film or it's a horror film or it's a genre bending film or it's a rom-com. In documentary, we just have this like one label, which is even more confusing because traditionally it's been a, a journalistic endeavor. So, you know, I think the best thing we could do at the moment is at least have like two sort of subgenres, like journalistic and impressionistic. It seems like that would sort of cover just about any nonfiction film because I'd much rather someone approach Moon Age knowing that they're coming into an impressionistic nonfiction film. It's it is it's interesting because I, I would have thought the last few years everyone's talking about this golden age of documentaries and all this stuff. I mean, you would have thought that we wouldn't have golden age of screening. It's been the death <laughs> of Doctor Golden Age. I, I'm I make theatrical documentaries. It is not a golden age right now. Well, that is a you know that is a persp I I find that very interesting, and I think um, I mean it's uh, you, you're. One thing I was gonna we were gonna ask is uh, it's twenty. Well, you've been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, for yeah. one of your films, that's 23 years ago. I mean, um, how have things changed over that period in, in, for the industry, and how have they not changed? Oh, well, I was nominated in uh, 2000 yeah. for my first film, which was my thesis film from NYU. It was called On the Ropes. Right. And... Um, and back then, when we got nominated, uh, I had to scroll on the internet to find out, and um, we didn't do anything. We didn't. Uh, we didn't. There was no campaign. There was no publicist. Yeah. Um, there were no screenings. There was no advertisement. We showed up at for Oscar weekend, and um, during that four month period or three month period, I was able to do pre production on the kids' stays in the picture, and. Um, <laughs> And it was, uh, it was, you know, it was exciting, and um, and it costs a lot less money than things do today. Yeah. So you've, so Moon Age Daydream. How did you become involved with this project? I mean, did you? It was, was it your idea? Did you approach uh, Bowie's estate? How did this? How did this happen? No one ever hires me to do anything. I have to hire myself. Uh, so yeah, I. I I kind of forced myself onto this. Now, I I had come up with an idea. I met with David in 2007 to discuss a different type of movie. Um, and the timing for that didn't work out. And uh, in 2015, a year before he passed, I came up with this idea to do something called the IMAX Music Experience. And the idea of the IMAX Music Experience was I was going to do a series of 15, 40-minute, non-linear IMAX music experiences to live in perpetuity in the science halls and take over the evening positioning. So it'd be like seven o'clock Beatles, eight o'clock Zeppelin, nine o'clock, you know, Beyonce, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, at 40 minutes, you don't really need a plot. And my, what I was interested in was taking music and playing it in the greatest sound system available to uh, to the audience, which is IMAX. Um, and so that's where it started. And then uh, David, when David passed, um, I called his, uh, his executor who I had met with uh, years earlier, 
pitched him what I was interested in doing. And, um, you know, he said that David had pretty much saved everything throughout the years um, and um, had told him that he did not want to participate in a traditional talking head documentary that uh, Bowie felt that in those type of movies, the experts kind of end up owning the history and the truth. And there's something, I guess, that he, you know, just wasn't that interested in. So my take of doing this kind of non-biographical music experience um, really resonated with Bill. Uh, at that point, I had no idea where I would go on this journey or that it would go from this 40-minute razzle-dazzle to a two-and-a-half-hour life-affirming odyssey. Um, you know, really ended up taking on a life of its own. And I, I should say that it was originally designed to be like a one-year endeavor and ended up, you know, taking the better part of seven years. Oh, my God. So, I mean, how does one go about making a film about, I mean, you've you've told about how you've approached the estate, and but how do you go about making a film about David Bowie? I mean, do you, or how, I mean, we, we had someone who, you know, you know, or how do you go about making a film about a cultural icon or artistic genius well, I, I mean I've, you know i've been doing this for 20 years now with these cultural icons like bob evans and jane goodall and kurt cobain i mean you know to answer your question earnestly you look for a through line of action you you enter the project knowing understanding that you're not going to cover everything and that um particularly with someone like Bo, you know with kurt his he you know he was in the public eye for three, just three years and live such a short life that it was possible to really go kind of cradle to grave in the course of a little over two hours with someone like David Bowie, that's just not even within the realm of possibility. So, and if you attempt to do it, you sort of end up with cliff notes, to history. So just by virtue of the format, that being IMAX and cinema, um, it kind of, suggests a certain type of film um with all my movies i i like to say i make movies that aren't about the subject that aren't information based they're experiential and they're meant to kind of be the experience of the subject in a in a uniquely cinematic way um and uh, you know um and so I, that's kind of how i've approached nonfiction, and so bowie uh, at the end of the day, readily uh, lent himself to this sort of endeavor, um, both in the sense that one can track a non-biographical narrative with Bowie um, that addresses his creative process as well as his spiritual uh, journey. Um, Bowie's life was his art and the way he approached life and his philosophy towards life was very much in sync with his art, which again makes for uh, a very contained through line. Mm. And, and I think, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I try not to re read reviews or even watch or read other people's <laughs> interviews, was, but I wish I could say the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't have any reviews of myself, but, uh, the, uh, uh I mean, I, I've seen some reference that you were, in, you know, 
you wanted to, you're inspired by Bowie's artistic techniques and principles, and you incorporated those into the into everything you did in in putting the film together. Um, is that is that correct? And and how what what links did you have to go to in order to achieve that? Well, you know, that's always. Um, you know, when I did Montage of Hack, I had found a tape that Kurt Cobain had created called Montage of Hack. And I like to say that that tape was the blueprint for how to construct the film. I suppose that with the kids stage in the picture, Bob's book very much helped define and lead how I would approach that. With Bowie, I made a film about an artist's creative process. And so everything he's saying about his work is applicable to how I would go about making this film. And so if you watch the film and you want to know what I did, just listen to him. He's actually telling the viewer what I'm doing almost moment by moment, step by step. Um, so, you know, there were some of these ideas were abstract. Some of them were, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Uh, uh, sometimes there were more kind of overt where I had the oblique strategy cards that I would incorporate, you know, almost hourly. Um, but in essence, he provided a kind of roadmap on how to create and construct the film and how to, how to surround myself with like-minded uh, collaborators who were willing to, to play in the sandbox. And, and so as part of that, do you try, I mean, is it conscious? Do you try to live up to his artistic genius? You almost, I mean, you, you have to. No, I, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm an intellectual midget next to Bowie. I mean, <laughs> that, that was, the, that was yeah. the thing that I, I was most concerned about was that, you know, filmically as a, as a nonfiction director working in archives, I, I you know, I, I've, I feel very confident in approaching a subject like David Bowie. Um, in terms of intensive immersion, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm a method director, so I don't approach my subjects from the outside looking in. I try to approach it from the inside looking out. And so like a method actor, when I'm working on a film, I like to inhabit the culture of my subjects. So when I'm, I was doing when I was writing the kids face in the picture, even though it's not an art, it's not a verite film. I lived with Bob Evans for a year as I worked on the script so I could soak in his influences and inspirations. I knew what music he liked and what he liked to eat, you know, all of his kind of uh, these little things that an actor would want to kind of absorb, not because they need to know what he ate, but because they want to be prepared for any situation that they may find themselves in. With Bowie, I mean, with Bob, that was manageable and with kurt that seemed manageable with jane that seemed manageable in part because all those subjects were very singular in their pursuits bowie was someone who read you know traveled with like a a a, a chest of like a thousand books and was so well read and educated self-educated that there was no way from the time I got the assignment to the time I finished that I could even come close. It, it was like the Tower of Babel. You know, I, I could, there was no way I could absorb all of that. So 
that was very intimidating coming into it, knowing that like, I know there's zero, there's no way that I can possibly come close to looking at him eye to eye on that level. But of course, uh, you know, I, I wasn't writing an essay. I was making a film. So it, it only needed to, you know, <laughs> it, needed to, it got to a level I could look at. <laughs> well, I think that takes us to a good point for a quick break for our uh, listeners and viewers. We'll be right back with the award-winning director of Moon Age Daydream, a nominated for a BAFTA, and that's Brett Morgan, who also edited, produced, and wrote the film. Available, I think, just about everywhere, uh, certainly online, and do check, look for it on a big screen somewhere near you, or even IMAX, I, I gather. Um, so... And check uh, Brett out also on his Twitter feed, Brett, at Brett Morgan. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Brett Morgan, director of Moon Age Daydream. Um, we were talking about this, the, your the creative process you went through, what you were, um, you, you know, in, in putting this, uh, this, this incredible film together. I mean, it, the film makes a lot of, at least I felt like, uh, makes a lot of reference to sort of, uh, um, well, Bowie, through Bowie, largely, uh, sort of the isolation of the artist and, 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 and. Also, I gather from you, and this is a seven-year process, and you were both, you were director, producer, editor, writer. Was this a, was this an isolated process for you? Were you in kind of isolation part of, part of this period? And, and uh, does that reflect, are you reflect, does the film reflect your own experience or is the, or are you reflecting Bowie's or are you reflecting both? I guess it's all, is that a combination of all those things? Yeah, well, when's who's to say? It's just kind of endless. It just uh, flows. Loop. Yeah, it's a sort of loop. Um, uh, I don't, up until I locked picture and started collaborating with the sound team and um, Stefan Edelman on the visual effects, uh, it was as isolated and um, lonely an endeavor as. Uh, one can do in the world of cinema because there was no one else. I was by myself. Um, you can't get, <laughs> you can't get, get much more isolated than that. And was that uh, intentional? Know. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, at some point, yes, you know, it, 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 I don't think I, it's, it didn't start out that way. Um, the pandemic came around, budgetary issues came around. Um, uh there were a couple other producers when i started that, that you know we sort of from just it was a seven-year process so you know by the couple years in i was by myself uh there was no there were no notes from uh the financiers they weren't uh given the film until it was finished and um so at that point like a couple years in Yes, it was by design. Um, at a couple years in, I'm like, I have to fight my way out of this. This is on me. And um, there wasn't, I'm not saying that in a, 
<laughs> it's not an enviable thing. It was really dumb and it was not smart. And it was, it was really um, problematic to say the least. Uh, but I don't know how I could have arrived where I did without it. I mean, it really did feel, you know, you started this conversation asking me about awards and I could, I could tell you with absolute clarity that for years putting this film together, there was no thought of awards or audiences. It was just, can I get, can I pull this off? Can I make a film? Like that was just like, is this a language? Does this work from beginning, middle to end? That was, I just didn't, there were times, most of the time during those first six years, it did not seem like it was going to happen. And it, I was, you know, I couldn't give money. I couldn't give the money back. And I had no one to sort of help me get out of this mess. Um, so it, it was, a. Uh, but again, like I said, at some point I understood that I put myself in that environment and realized that I have been creating these kind of chaotic situations anyway, through most of my projects. This one just was, you know, the pandemic hit too. That was really talk about feeding and isolation, you know, uh, I have a heart condition. And so before the vaccine, I wasn't allowed to be near my children or anyone. So I was completely isolated sleeping in the office next to the Avid. I took the project for five months to Hawaii where I was quarantined on the big Island and, um, and went months without seeing a person, you know, just, a, you know, Alex, my assistant editor would remote into the system when I'd go for a walk and, you know, <laughs> but if I had, I had a phone, I had a phone buddy back in LA, but yeah, it was, it was, Anyway, it was a long ride. And and I mean, what did you what did you learn about yourself in that process? What did I learn about myself? Um, well, I, I, I certainly, you know, learned that you know the, the the cliche that anything is possible if you're determined and you 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 know you set your sights on it. Um, I mean, like I said, just completing a sentence just having a film that you can go from beginning to end in this kind of presentation was something that, you know, um, you know, it was setting the, it was, it was very, it was, it was, yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 and then in the bigger picture, I'm still absorbing the lessons because while I was making the film, I learned so much, but I wasn't able to necessarily apply it because I couldn't breathe while I was making it. You know, this was this was a catch line too. This film, I was learning all of these lessons about how to create a balance and how to let go, and and I wanted to live by it, but I couldn't because if I wasn't editing, no one was moving the film forward. So it's really now that the film's done that I'm I'm really beginning to. Um, to feel the um the the levity the buoyancy of um of, of the, this whole experience well and i think i've seen reference to you saying it's a you know the film or working on bowie taught you about balance and what's and i, I think had a profound change in your life i mean 
Is that, uh, I mean, is working ridiculous hours, that's just kind of par for the course, isn't it, for the industry? Is that, was that doesn't have to be that way? Not is that the, Yeah. Not anymore for me. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think it does have to be that way when you're create. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know any other way to go about it. You know, it's um, how does one put a premium or a time limit on their passion? I mean, these projects, you don't, there was not a, a you know, nearly a, mo- a minute over seven years where I wasn't thinking of David and I found a way to always think about David. So when I was exercising, I was listening to his music or listening to podcasts about it. Um, when I was driving, I was listening to music when, I mean, I, I went to sleep, listening to the music. It was, it was everywhere. It was, um, yeah. Yeah. And so with these lessons, I mean, I think we're actually, uh, about to come to the end of our time together, uh, Brett, but, uh, now that you're trying to, well, you're, you're still flying all over the the globe. You're coming to us from Israel on this record. I think you're in. I think you're in my way next week. You'll be in the UK, I think, for a screening. Um, but with as you implement these uh, lessons and this balance, what is what's next for you? Do you have anything that's uh, um, that you can tell us about that's next on the horizon for you, or is it about taking a, a break after after these seven seven long years? I don't have anything that I really want to, I have nothing that I want to do right now. Like I, first time in my career, uh, I'm kind of um, uh, don't feel like doing much. And, um, and that has taken me a lifetime to get here and to feel like I'm like, I'm good. You know, like I, if, if that was my last film, I, I am thrilled uh, that I had that opportunity and that experience. And I, you know, uh, I kind of, you know, there was a moment as I was making it and I would, I said to my wife, I said, I think this may be my last film. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I, I feel it more now. I mean, knock on wood, but um, I really feel satiated and I like not that, and I don't want to do it again. Right. Right. I don't, I, it's not like, oh, wow, that was so great. Let's go do it again. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that was really difficult. If, if that's and, what it takes, yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to do half of it. I don't want to do something sort of half-assed. So I, I, we'll see what happens. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, I think that the, the lessons that were applicable to me working with Bowie are really applicable to all of us, you know, and that was one of the beautiful things about, the opportunity to work on this film is that Bowie's message, um, it applies whether you're a day laborer, a school teacher, a nurse, a, a surgeon, a filmmaker. Um, you know, it's about finding a way to get the most out of each day and about the, you know, maximize our experience given the brevity of life. And it's simple. And whoever thought David Bowie would be this, you know, prophet of positivity and, uh, you know, uh, almost like syrupy life lessons, but he 
he lived his life by example, you know, and, and so it's, it's just, and, you know, he was so comfortable in his skin. I mean, I watched every frame, um, you know, for two years and it was just, he was always present and always learning and viewing each moment as an opportunity for an exchange for growth. Um, and I, you know, I think that it's, um, he, he, he provided a, a, you know, he was obviously an incredible artist, but there's so much more, uh, to draw inspiration from. And ultimately whether conscious or not, is that what you want the message of the film to be, or at least one of them? Yeah, no, I, I think that the, um, the, the messages of the film is live each day to the fullest. I mean, it's, I never thought I would make a film in which the, the message was that sort of simplistic. Not that Moon Age Daydream is a simple film, but ultimately, you know, if you had to distill it to a single idea, that's what it is. I mean, and I guess, by the way, at the end of the kid stays in the picture, Bob's sitting for an interview and the interviewer says, was it worth it? And Bob takes a long pause and he goes, yeah. Yeah, it was worth it. Uh, let me tell you what, most of us spend most of our life at our work. I happen to love what I do. So yeah, it's worth it. Damn right, it's worth it. Um, Jane says the same thing at the end of the game. She talks about what an amazing life it's been. I actually, I just realized this. I think she might even say, I'd love to do it again. She says something along the lines of like, I'd love to do it again. It's the final line of that film, which is what Bowie says in Moon Age. Uh, obviously, Kurt, you know, life was a struggle, you know, every day. It was kind of a montage of heck is really the, the, the polar opposite of Moon Age daydream in every way, you know, really. Um, but I, I do think, I, I think that, you know, I, I've been very blessed that the, I've, I've had these characters, I've got to make films about characters who love what they do and, um, and are able to communicate that love to all of us, you know, and it's, um, particularly, I think coming after montage, uh, Jane was such a positive film and uh, I was not expecting Bowie to be as you know in a way it's more upbeat than uh, Jane I think well I guess y if you do make another film are you gonna you'll have to find someone else you'll have to find another one of these people who are of of this of this cut of this same cloth I guess in terms of their the living life to the fullest won't you yeah, I, I, I like. And where do you that, find that, this? Is the tra this is the trap. There's like no. <laughs> oh, there's that other Bowie. Type <laughs> exactly. That, that like we all like. Oh yeah, you're right. I forgot about that person. I look. There's amazing artists who I'd love to collaborate with. You know, there's people like Janelle Monae and and you know incredible uh, younger artists who are so talented. But uh, yeah, man, Bowie, once in a lifetime. You know, that was, uh, that was the documentarians, uh, you know, hole in one, you know, just to, to land that assignment was such a, um, privilege. Yeah. 
Well, what I'll say is, uh, at least for me, and whether it was what you intended or not, I just I felt like for the first time I really underst—I wouldn't say understood, but uh, appreciated and really understand who Bo- Bowie really was, and and still is. You know, it's and again that goes back to I think. Thank you, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation about not trying to fit everything in. And so by not trying to fit everything in, what you're able to do is get a context for these movements, which enable you to piece together this broad section of his career without feeling like it's Wikipedia. So that, so that you're, you're actually, if you're a casual Bowie fan, like I was going into this, who never read a book. You're like, oh, wow, I, I guess if I'd read a book, I would have known that he abandoned songwriting and went to Berlin and did this thing. But I, I kind of never pieced that together. I didn't realize how extreme that was. And I didn't I was around at the time. I didn't realize that Let's Dance was a design. He was he had designed. He wanted to go into the mainstream as a social experiment. Like I, I, I never I didn't see it like that. And so so I and again, if I had tried to mention every album. And every date, we would have never arrived at that sort of um, conclusion. And I guess finally, would you say that was an advantage that you came into this as a casual fan? If you had been a big, avid Bowie fan, would that have made it more difficult, you think? I don't think so. I think, I mean, you know, I, I, given the fact that I was able to access his entire archive, I think even the most ardent, you know, well-versed fan would have been in awe at the totality of his kindness and um, intelligence. Like it never faltered. It never, I mean, I'm looking at two years of media. This is like thousands and thousands of hours of this human being who, you know, if you were a hardcore fan before, you'd be like, oh yeah, he's the greatest. But yeah, there's probably a moment or two where he's, it was, it was, you know, people say David's otherworldly. I I started to feel it was otherworldly only because I, where was the, I didn't see the fallibility. I, I, I saw the vulnerability. I just didn't see the fallibility. I, I never, you know, I, 84 to 87, he goes off the rails a little bit, but that was a, ne- you know, necessary um, equation. And he accepted it with grace and dignity. As he, I'm, um... I guess as as my understanding is how he approached his death as well, and so um, even in death was um, lived up to this, uh, as you say, this in, infallibility. Um, yeah. uh, Brett, I think uh, I'm, I'm sure your uh, assistants will be asking me to let you go because I know you've got another uh, interview coming up. Uh, but uh, just wanted to. Thank you again for coming on to the podcast uh, with Factual America. It's very much appreciated. Very, very much enjoyed uh, our chat. And just to remind our listeners, we've been talking with Brett Morgan, director, editor, producer, and writer of the BAFTA-nominated Moon Age Daydream. Do check it out. You will be, I know, very impressed. And also follow Brett at Brett Morgan, uh, at Brett Morgan on his Twitter account and, and any other social media that he's active on. Uh, you're active on social media, Brett. So thank you so much again, and uh, good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Take care. 
I also would like to thank those who helped make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. Big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. Please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.